0: Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see you all today. Glad you came to worship our king. And just as a way of introduction, is this too loud? Okay. I just wanted to say, and maybe Anderson can testify to this as well, that it's been such a joy to serve here. It's been such a joy to be part of the church community here. Through all of the churches I've been at throughout my whole life, this is my favorite one uh it 's diverse, and the people are very real loving and so just wanted to thank you for welcoming me when I came here. It was like i 've known you for fifteen years my whole life, and so it 's awesome twenty four years not fifteen years uh, just before we start i 'll be quoting from a confession twice, and so i di- i don 't want to leave you in the dark so it's a Christian confession, and basically a Christian confession summarizes the basic biblical truths. And so I just wanted to, to say that so when I quote it, you're not like, what's this random thing he's quoting? Um, if you will then, t- let's turn into our Bibles to First Samuel 12, verse 22. That's our text today, First Samuel 12, verse 22 one of my favorite texts in the whole Bible and Pastor Bill alluded to its, its meaning when we were doing communion that we will, God will never depart from us we will never we will never be forsaken by God and so let's read 1 Samuel 12 verse 22 actually let's Let's read a few verses before that. Let's start at verse 19. 1 Samuel 12, verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver for they are empty and now our text verse 22 for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself moreover as for me far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you and I will instruct you in the good and the right way Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what greater things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Thus far we read from God's word. Uh, So will you pray with me now? Dear Lord, we just read your word. And you have something to teach us. Your word is living, it's breathing. And we pray that you would humble our hearts that we would be subjected to your word, and that we would, most of all, be confronted with, with your love and your compassion for us, your people. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Manor Church community and anybody else who, who came today, in this text, the nation of Israel is moving into a period of kingship. Long has Israel desired to have an earthly king rule over them. As we will see, this desire for a king is not inherently wrong in and of itself. For God, in Gen- Genesis 17, verse 6, promised Father Abraham that from out of his seed a king would come. In Genesis 35, verse 11, God repeats this promise a king coming from the line of Jacob of Abraham. God promised that a king would come. It was his plan. The promise of a king was the ideal king. The ideal king described in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 through 20. And this king is a king that's after God's own heart. A king who loves his people, who does not oppress his people. And this king would set the standard and be the one in whom the nation of Israel would look to as the culmination of restoration and deliverance. One who would deliver his people from their sin and present evil age. We know that God promised a king to his people. A king was not foreign to his plan. This, this people of God is important to know because many who read this text will say that the problem Israel has here was simply in their desire for a king. God is Israel's king, they say, and the desire for a king was where they went wrong. That was their sin. But this is is not correct. After a careful or a more careful look at other texts, we see that the desire for a king, it's a righteous desire. It's a good desire. The problem lies in what kind of king the people desired. Would they desire a king after God's heart, a king like unto God and righteousness and holiness? Or would they desire a king like unto the nations, the king of the nations, the, the evil, wicked kings? The latter is precisely what they asked for. They desired a king like the kings of the world, the kings that did not serve God but served false gods. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 20, we hear Israel saying, Give us a king like all the other nations. This is where they went wrong. Even though Samuel, in verses prior to this, warns Israel about the kings that they will get. These kings, the prophet Samuel warned, will take from them. These kings will take what they have. They'll weigh them down with heavy taxes. These kings will oppress them. Yet even with this warning, Israel did not listen. Why did Samuel warn against this type of king? Because Samuel was called to display for Israel in his life and teaching what Israel ought to seek and look for in a king. In 1 Samuel 1 verse 28, a king devoted to God. In 1 Samuel 2, 8 through 10, a king who cares for the poor lifts the needy out of the ashes, a king who rules justly in the strength of the Lord, not the strength of men, a king who will guard his people, punishes evil and wickedness. And so Samuel was a real-life picture to the nation Israel of what this godly leader looked like. He was a man after the Lord so that Israel might know the ideal king when he comes. But the nation of Israel rejected this kind of king. They wanted an earthly king so that they might look like the nations. What you have here are two kinds of kings. A king after God's own heart. And then you have another king that's evil and and is, is wicked. Rules according to his own standard of good and evil. And these two kings were prophesied. They were prophesied in Genesis 3, verse 15. If you have a moment, go to Genesis 3, verse 15. It says here, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is after the fall into sin. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The story of kingship in Israel echoes back Two, the struggle between the spiritual offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. Two seeds or offspring. Two kings. One that is righteous and one that is evil. And so, and here we see in this text that a promise of struggle is made between these two spiritual offspring, yet with a much greater promise lying behind it. A promise of salvation salvation through the offspring of the woman and but this this salvation will not come without the struggle between the woman and the serpent and so israel rejects rejects the ideal king and they seek a king like the nations and thus samuel the prophet of samuel the last judge has anointed saul king saul over israel he has given the people over To what they want. And notice. This is how the Lord. Time and time again. Teaches his people. And this is the struggle we will see today. Not only the struggle between. The wicked and the godly kings. But the struggle. In the affections. In the emotions. Of God's people. For they were the ones. Who called for a king. Like unto the nations. They turned against God and they sinned greatly in his eyes. The people sinned greatly in asking for a king. The wrong kind of king. They would get what they wanted. Saul would become king. Yet the Lord is unchangeably and purposefully sovereign. He will not forsake his people. He will keep his promises in establishing a righteous king. The forces or powers of evil cannot change the plans of God. They cannot overthrow God's control over everything. As as the Westminster Confession of Faith states, God works all things according to the counsel of his unchangeable and most righteous will for his glory. Let us then consider Three things under the main theme, if you have notes, now will be a time to get these down. The main theme, God will not forsake. First, let's consider for whom, for whom will God not forsake. Secondly, why, and thirdly, to what end. God will not forsake, first, for whom, secondly, why, and thirdly, to what end. So the prophet Samuel rebukes Israel for the great sin that they have committed. The great sin of desiring a king like unto the nations. And as we read early, we noted that God promised Israel a king. God promised a king to Abraham. And that their sin was wanting a king like the other nations. In the earlier verses of chapter 12, Samuel, he, he sets himself up against uh, or He sets himself up as the righteous judge of Israel over against the kings of the other nations. Samuel here says that he did not commit any harm against the children of Israel. He did not oppress them. He did not defraud them. Samuel did not do any lick of harm to the nation of Israel. Rather, he ruled righteously, teaching them to serve and obey the Lord. Yet the people wanted another king. And the Lord will give them that king. He will give them the king that they desire. And a king that can establish an earthly kingdom and win earthly battles from time to time. It was a grievous sin. The people of Israel were basically slapping God in the face, telling God that they did not want a king like him. They, they were telling him, we do not want to be like you. We would rather be like the world who does not know you. The people of Israel forsook the Lord. They grievously offended him. They turned aside from him and sought after worldly things. Things that ultimately do not deliver. Things that do not profit anything. Think about this. Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, after all the times God delivered them and brought them salvation, still does not trust God. But the Lord makes it clear that though his people have sinned greatly against him, he will not forsake them. Although they have turned aside to seek worldly and vain things for profit and deliverance, he will not forsake them. This promise from the mouth of God that He will not forsake His people shows the Lord's unconditional covenant of grace towards His people. This promise shows that God's relationship with His people is based solely on undeserved favor apart from any of their works. Though the Lord's people constantly turn away from Him, yet He will never Turn away from them. This is the same Lord who made the covenant or relationship with Abraham while he was asleep. He is the one who will will be faithful and not forsaking. He will keep the covenant on behalf of his people. What a long-suffering God that Israel has. What a loving God that we have. Words do not even do justice to it. I'm writing this and I'm like, how can I get this across? My words don't even do it. The God who has given his people every reason in every second of every day to serve him and to follow him. Yet God is constantly forsaken by his people. We see this throughout the whole Old Testament. Time and time again. God's people forsake him. Although he has delivered his people out of slavery, delivered his people from their enemies, his people constantly turn away from him. What a loving God. We have forsaken him. We have and we continue to sin against him every day. Yet the Lord tells you and he tells me that he will not forsake his people. This promise is unconditional. And it applies to all of life. There is nothing you and I do that makes this promise void or empty. It applies to every second of the believer's life. It applies to every circumstance in the believer's life. There's not a second, nor is there any circumstance in the believer's life in which the Lord forsakes you. You may, he may give you earthly consequences for your sin, but even those consequences are His faithfulness in bringing you back to Him and delivering you from the, from the devil and from the world. You may experience extreme earthly sufferings, yet the Lord is there with you in the midst of that circumstances, reminding you of His promises. This is God's providence. That's a big word, but providence basically means almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby all things without exception are under his direction. Again, the confession of faith that I quoted from earlier, when it talks about providence, talks about God's providence specifically in regards to his people. Listen here. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations in the corruptions of their hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to, to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they May be humbled and to raise them to a more and close, constant dependence for their support upon Himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and whole ends. The unconditional faithfulness of God the Father through Jesus Christ is the foundation. And our sure confidence in life and death. If you, if you lose that, you have no confidence. You have no certainty. If your faith is based off of your conditions and what you do, you're going to be driven time and time again to despair, doubt, anxiety, and I would even say paranoia. Therefore, this is the foundation, the unconditional faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ. And so when you see your sin clear as day, as Israel here did, when the, when the devil throws his fiery darts at you and attacks you, when you doubt, when you despair, when you are terrorized, look by faith to the God who never forsakes in all of the circumstances of life, look to the one who will never and cannot forsake you. Look to the one who always delights to receive you in his arms. In all, of these circum- in all of life's circumstances, do not listen to your feelings. Do not listen to the devil. Do not listen to anybody except it be the word of God. For his word is sure and it tells you he will not forsake you. It's foundational to your Christian life. God does not forsake, of, forsake his people, but tells, of his, tells you and me of his great love. And so do not turn aside from the Lord, letting the, the vain and perishing things of life guide you, but turn to the God of love, the great comforter and deliverer. And now let's consider why. Why does God not forsake his people? The text answers the question of why the Lord will not forsake his people. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> it answers this question simply, for it says, "For his great name's sake, he will not forsake because he cannot forsake." The Lord God of Israel covenanted himself with the people established a relationship with the people he made an everlasting relationship with his people right after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden obviously he did not do this because of anything we do that we do we we betrayed him and he, he also didn't make this covenant or relationship because we are lovable the reason why God made this relationship and why he will not forsake his people is because it goes against his nature, who he is, and his character. It is simply not who God is to forsake his people. It goes against his very name to forsake. The great I am, the one who speaks things into existence, the one that creates and does whatsoever he pleases, The one whose plans are not contingent on any outside influences. The God of scripture is unchangeable. Numbers 23 verse 19 states, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Human beings change. We know this to be true from our experience. For example, we often set out to accomplish a task or a goal. We, we set out to accomplish this, this goal with great fervor and passion. Only in the next moment to decide, hey, you know what, I'm just going to give up. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's too much work. I, I do that all the time. I actually had my grandpa tell me that. He said, you always start a job and you never finish it. It's not fun to hear that from your grandpa, but we know this should be true from our human experience. But the God of Israel, your God, never changes. He does not, and he cannot change. It's because of who he is by his nature. And so, because of who he is, and because he cannot change, he will not forsake. It goes against his innermost being change and so when we entertain thoughts or the voice of the devil that, sa- that says God does not love me because of my sin or this time it is the last straw I have sinned one too many times God does not love me we can say boldly to those thoughts and confidently that those are lies straight From hell. Because God's word stands. His word says, I will not forsake you because of my great name's sake. And so we must say to ourselves during our most despairing moments. The Holy Spirit testifies with my spirit that I am God's child. God is our advocate. And he tells us with a peaceful whisper or the loud exclamation that we are the children of God. It is paramount. It's of utmost importance to let this sink in a little bit more. Israel, Israel sinned greatly. They literally severed themselves from God in their desire to be like the nations. They had everything. They had an abundance of blessing and favor in the Lord. The Lord had delivered them Time and time again. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, they are so stupid. They're so dumb. Until I think about myself. I do the same thing. They denied him. And as I said, we too deny him. We deny him every day in thought, word, and deed. Think with me more how often we sever ourselves from God. It could be a desire to be like the world. We, we might look around as Asaph did in the Psalms and are envious of the prosperity and the strength of the world. We easily fall into worldly desires and acting on them. As Asaph states in Psalm 73 verse 2, our feet slip and we slide down the slippery slope of the pleasures of this life. How often do we forsake God in our besetting sins? Like Israel, we continuously turn our face from God. We seek our idols, whatever they may be. And now think, like these, are phys- these could be physical idols. Our own idols that we cling to. These are out- outward idols in nature. Now think about all the times we turn from God inwardly. We might envy, gossip, slander are jealous, hateful. Furthermore, think about all the times we turn from God spiritually, maybe avoiding God in prayer and uh, and devotions. Or we sever ourselves as Peter did in not living out our identity in Christ as we ought. Beloved, we forsake God every day. At our best, we are still far short of the perfect standard of righteousness that God calls us to. And foolishly to think that sometimes we look to our works when they, as Isaiah 64, verse 6 states, are as filthy rags. Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. What beauty, splendor, peace and mercy and grace do we find when we think on the Lord who changes not What freedom! Likewise, when we look to the ultimate fulfillment and culmination of God's changelessness in Jesus Christ. What love we find when we look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. For in Christ is the glorious fulfillment of the Lord God, who swore by His name never to forsake us. The glorious truth of God's unchangeableness shown forth and fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. It's what moves us. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what quiets our fear, anxiety, and despair. For without it, in facing a holy God, the law, our thoughts, our sin, our sin, or present circumstances. In the roaring voice of the devil. We would surely be terrorized. Without peace and quiet. This is the king that we have. This is the king that rules over us. The king that has entered into the hearts And minds. And experience. Of every believer. He is a king of compassion. And of unconditional love. He will never forsake you. In the face of your circumstances, your besetting sin, He will never forsake you. Therefore, do not turn aside from God. Do not run from Him. But always turn back to Him every day. Turn to Him by faith and serve Him in humbleness. Do not run from Him. He is a God of unconditional love and faithfulness. Do not turn to anything else but turn to him and render to him continual returns of passionate love. Is this not the experience of the Christian life? One of continual turning? Is it not the example that David sets for us in the Psalms? The Psalms that display every emotion, every high, every low, and every feeling? It truly is the experience of the Christian life, for we are weak and feeble. Yet the Lord knows this. He remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. And He has given us Himself as the the unchangeable God, as the foundation of our life. He has given us Himself in Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of His unchangeableness. As our firm foundation. So turn to him. Plead to him on behalf of his name. He who changes not. Finally. Let's consider to what end. So we, we, we mentioned that the Lord will not forsake. That he will not forsake his, for his name's sake. It, it goes against his being and his nature. He cannot forsake. But I want us to see here in this point that the truth of his unconditional love goes even further beyond his nature and being. It goes beyond God's nature, who he is, in that it reaches out to his will. The truth of his unconditional love reaches out into his will in that he chooses for himself a people. His will of choosing you and me to be his own out of his own good pleasure because it pleased him to do so. Why does God love sinners like you and me? Just because he wanted to. The God who has every right to damn each soul to hell takes pleasure in loving sinners. Isn't that amazing? What a truth this is. A truth that sinks deep into the heart of the believer, bringing tears to their eyes. Who am I that the Lord should be mindful of me? Yet the Lord states that it pleased him to make myself, yourself, and all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ his own. It pleased the Lord make us his own and therefore it continues to please the lord to work in us throughout our lives according to his good pleasure this here is the the crux of the text that though we often fall and we often fall in grievous ways the lord is pleased to be our god he loves to be our god his disposition towards his people is that of love. As I was studying this text, it, it, it occurred to me that, to, for me, and I was a little bit wary of saying this because I didn't know if it would make sense, but it occurred to me that when I look at my fallenness, my sins of youth, my current struggle with besetting sin, and trials, that I I look at all of those things, I I sort of flip the table on its head. Because normally I'd look at all of those things as, as bad things. But when I look back on my life, I see them as gifts from the loving God who ordains all things. None of those things are outside of His control. Nothing happens in your life and in my life that is outside of God's will. Everything that did happen and will happen, he ordained. And all of those things work together for the good of those who love God. He's pleased to continue to work uh, in us through our fallenness to to do what? To conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And so we must go through the fire like silver and gold that are tried by fire, so too must we go through the fire of various dangers, toils, and snares in order that we might come out on the other side as God's masterpiece. We are the clay, and He is the potter. He is molding us. He's, he's smoothing out all the rough edges until one day we are like Jesus Christ. We will not know how God used everything in our lives for our good on this side of eternity. Maybe it's a person who sinned against you or the sin that you committed. We, we will not know it all. We won't know how it was used for our good. But we can rest assured that it does and that it is all used for our good. Consider the, the train tracks at a train station. All of these train tracks, they crisscross each other, right? And to the average man or woman, uh, it's really confusing, right? You go to the train track, you look, you're like, how does all this work? I don't get it. It makes no sense. But to the man or woman in the control room, it is a wonderful and amazing display of control and order. So too are the lives of God's people. As they rest in the strong, all powerful, comforting hand of God, who orchestrates all things for our good and His glory. Everything in our lives is ordained by God. Our outlook, then, on the thorns and thistles, thistles of this life, ought to, ought to change or ought to slowly change, maybe into maybe this is too far fetched, but to a posture of rejoicing because the Lord ordained that all to circumcise our hearts, to smooth out our rough edges. He ordains it all that we might look more and more like the ideal king, Jesus Christ. It pleased him to make you, to make me his people. And it pleases him to use everything in our lives for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purposes. Are we then thankful? Are we rejoicing because of the king that we have? The king that will not forsake, cannot forsake, but loves his people because of his great name's sake and pleasure? Or do we yet desire to be like the nations? All of us struggle with this in one way or another. Either we fall into wanting to be like the world or we forget the king that rules over us. The call then is to repent of that sin and to believe yet again in jesus christ turn back to the lord whose name is great he will not chide he will not take his time but he will readily lovingly receive you and so turn back to him turn to him in prayer calling on his name you and i we are so 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 blessed to be able to plead with the lord on the grounds of His name. This this changes the whole outlook of our lives. Our whole lives are staked on His unshakable promise. This also changes how we plead with the Lord. We don't plead with the Lord based on our name. We don't plead with the Lord based on the world. No, we plead, we cry out, we ground our supplications are asking of things on the great unchangeable name of the Lord. The sun in the sky, if you will, was not fully risen in the old for the people in the Old Testament. They, they could see it and they could see its sh- its shining light, but they could only look to what would come. The Messiah had not come yet, but we, beloved people of God, have the Full radiance of the noonday sun shining brightly in the sky like a hot summer day. The full radiance of God's love and mercy is shown fully and brightly in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promises and his love for wretched sinners. As Hebrews 1 verse 3 states, Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the powerful word. And so, in conclusion, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ shines brightly. The endless mercy and grace that he readily and freely gives are yours. It is always there, no matter what trials and temptations you go through. No matter what sin besets you, his free grace and mercy are there for you. Run to Christ, for he never and can never forsake you. This is his character. You have his word. And maybe you find yourself listening today, as an unbeliever, someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ. There's a word also for you. Maybe you are listening and you're attracted to this God. You're attracted to God. You, you find His sovereignty, His love, an unconditional relationship with His people, attractive and appealing. Then listen up. There's a word for you too. If you are, if you are weighed down by your sin, Your violent violation against God's will. Confess that to God. Tell Him of that. And then look to Christ to be your Savior. The offer of salvation is there. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved today. He is ready and He is willing to save. You can be assured then, Upon believing in Jesus Christ. That he will keep you. Your sins grieve him. Your sins do bring chastisement. But your sins do not remove you. From his covenant faithfulness. He established the covenant. And he kept the covenant. In the death. Resurrection and ascension. Of Jesus Christ. Be assured then. That he will continually. Draw you to him. Because he is irresistible. All we can do is run from Him, and we do it every day. But His promise is that He will draw you back to Him. Fret not. He will not forsake you because of His great name's sake and His disposition of love towards you. He is and He will continue for the rest of your life and for all of eternity. Continue holding you fast. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Lord God, we thank you so much for your word that your character, you love is established, it's displayed, it's shown, Lord, and how you love your people, Lord. We are all weak and feeble, Lord, and, and we constantly despair and we forget of your, your love for us, Lord. But I pray that you would remind us more and more every day of that love, Lord. And we thank you so much that all every area and every aspect of salvation is completely your work, Lord. It's you working within us, Lord. And we thank you so much, Lord. I pray that as the word went forth, Lord, that although I am a a weak, broken vessel, Lord, and I can't hardly do justice to the text, that there would be that the Spirit would use something that I said to convict people to and then mainly to comfort people for that is our, that is the shepherd's task comfort ye comfort ye my people and i pray this all in your son's name amen